Welcome to the Clinician's Roundtable on ReachMD XM, channel 233. I'm your host, Dr. Kathleen Margolin, and my guest is Sasha Chanoff, co-founder and executive director of the U.S.-based NGO organization, Mapendo International. Mr. Chanoff has made a career of helping people who are struggling to survive as they flee the most dire threats imaginable. Mr. Chanoff has worked extensively with many refugee populations, including Sudanese lost boys, Somali Bantus, Congolese Tutsis at risk, Liberians, and Sierra Leoneans, among others. In 2007, Mapendu International will begin construction of a hospital to provide operations and overnight care to the hundreds of refugee war victims of Nairobi. Sasha, can you paint a picture for us of what is it like um, for example, in the area in Nairobi where this hospital is going to be built. Uh, practically unimaginable to someone living in the U.S. and to treat them would be very challenging. Well, our plan is to, is to build the hospital in a location that is quite kind of densely populated and is safe as well and is accessible to refugees in Nairobi has a number of large slums around it, and there's a tremendous amount of poverty there, but there's also a tremendous amount of wealth there. And as I said before, there's big middle class, there's a lot of very wealthy wealthy people, and there's a lot of people living in poverty. These refugees who flee the refugee camps or who have heard that they're dangerous and end up not going there often live in kind of the worst areas in Nairobi. We're planning to build a hospital and a protection center in not one of the worst areas, but in an area that is safe and secure that that then refugees can access through public transportation. One of the complicated things about urban refugee situation is that there are probably 150,000, perhaps 50,000 urban refugees and 100,000 asylum seekers and other immigrants who do not actually have not been accorded refugee status by the UN and the Kenyan government, but, but who are waiting for interviews or who, who have fled their countries as well. So there's a huge amount of people who are in need in Nairobi, and so we have to be very careful about how we identify people and whom we serve, because you can be very quickly overwhelmed with the need. And our goal is to identify those people who are the most at risk and the most vulnerable. And so how we're doing that is that we're collaborating with the UNHCR, we're collaborating with Jesuit Refugee Services, which is another agency that has operations in Nairobi, and we're collaborating with other agencies as well that are operational in Nairobi that are working with refugees so that when they come across very urgent or desperate cases, they can refer them to us for assistance. We're creating connections with different clinics and different kind of key community members in different refugee communities to identify people who are really at risk so we can find those people and assist them. So these 100,000 people would not get services from the government? They do have access to the hospitals that exist in Kenya, but the problem is as a foreigner in Kenya, you're often, I think, charged double or perhaps quadruple. I can't. I think it varies depending on where you are. So people, whereas they could very easily go into a hospital, they don't have the... They, they don't have any way to pay for services, so they can't really access medical services. So what we'll do is we'll provide refugees with free assistance, which is what we're doing now through our medical clinic. 
And our medical clinic is growing really rapidly. We're hoping to serve about 1,000 people this year. That's our goal. We've hired a few more staff in Kenya now, and it's growing rapidly. And with, it's, it's kind of under Dr. Burton's helm. He's overseeing everything there. And again, he's managed very large refugee programs before. So now he's building up our medical initiatives there very quickly. Yeah. What kind of staff do you have? Surgeons, mental health professionals? Actually, one thing that we'd like to do as we get more established, we want to connect in with U.S. hospitals and look to provide opportunities for U.S. surgeons to perhaps go over and and help us with surgery there. But right now, our staff includes Dr. Burton, who is kind of the chief operating officer and our doctor, and we have a clinical officer um, who provides home-based care and a lab technician as well. We, We have a lab in our clinic where we can do HIV testing, typhoid testing, malaria testing, and many other tests. We just hired a social worker who will go out and visit people as well and make sure and kind of identify very at-risk cases and look at different ways that we can assist And we also have a rescue operations official who is working in close collaboration with me to identify people at extreme risk and groups at extreme risk so that we can raise their profiles to governments and to the UN to look at ways that we can get them to safety. And so, yeah, we have a growing staff. It's quite exciting. And so in time, you will be looking for volunteer physicians from the U.S. to spend some time. That's our plan. Is I don't, We're not quite there yet, but uh, we've been going for two years now. But in time, we certainly will be. And that's, that's, that's part of the long-term strategic plan is to create relationships with hospitals here and with surgeons here. The funding for all this has come primarily from individuals. It really hasn't taken that much money to do all this. But the funding has primarily come from individuals and then... In 2006, we were really fortunate to get an Echoing Green. The Echoing Green is a foundation that supports social entrepreneurs with ideas. So we applied for an Echoing Green grant, and I think there were maybe a thousand applications last year, and they gave they gave out a number of, of fellowships. And so we received that, and that comes along with cash and also with technical assistance on how to build an organization. So that's been a significant help to us as well. And then there's a lot of individuals who've reached out to help. And the, and the thing with our efforts is we're, it's not like we're reaching out to hundreds of thousands of people or tens of thousands of people right now. It's about individuals. We certainly are reaching out to a lot of people, but it's all about individuals and stories and protecting people's lives and keeping people alive and making sure they're safe. And as people have engaged with us and gotten involved with our efforts, I just tell them about the people that we're assisting and the people that our supporters have enabled us to protect and rescue and save. And I think that really engages people. Well, I'm really struck by how you and Dr. Burton have a very wide focus, and yet you keep bringing it down to individuals. And it's this balance back and forth. And and you have quite an ambitious goal for the future of this organization as well. It's quite exciting. I mean, on a number of different levels. One is that in terms of refugee assistance, you find, again, that most of the assistance is provided in these large refugee camps, which are quite adequate for most people. But among the three million refugees in Africa, there's at least a few hundred thousand who can't live in these refugee camps or who are endangered in refugee camps or for one reason or another choose not to stay there. And a lot of those people are the ones who are in the most extreme danger. And so our, one of our goals is to really kind of shift the paradigm of assistance 
onto the populations that don't have any access to help and, and figure out ways of helping them. So through our rescue operations, we've you know, identified initially this approximately 1,000 people, and we're working on identifying other groups of refugees as well who don't have any kind of permanent solutions to their plight. Another group that I've known about for a while and that we're talking about right now is a group of Sudanese Nuba refugees. Everybody knows about Darfur and what's happening about Darfur, but, but Darfur is actually just the latest in a horrific civil war and series of attacks by the funded and perpetrated by the Sudanese government against southern Sudanese and now against Darfurians. But the Nuba Mountains lies in northern Sudan, and the Nuba people were affiliated with the Southern People's Liberation Army, and the government sent in Arab militias into the Nuba Mountains to just decimate the people. They, they went after the kind of chiefs of villages and teachers and all the heads and executed people, and they, they deported about a million people to peace camps in the north where they separated men from women and children, and they raped women and in, tried to indoctrinate children with this kind of very extreme Islamic fundamentalist rhetoric and ideology. And the government did everything they could to rend apart the Nuba Mountains, and this happened over a period of about 15 years. It was not on anybody's radar screen. Nobody knew anything about this. And uh, I remember talking to one aid worker who flew into the Nuba Mountains in the mid-1990s, and he was one of the first foreigners to get in there in about 10 years. And he said he found people hiding naked in caves. The government had just carpet-bombed the place and had done everything they can to decimate the Nuba people. The exact same atrocities that are going on now in Darfur um, happened to the Nuba people. There are a lot of Nuba refugees in Kakuma refugee camp, and even though right now... Sudan is complicated. There's peace in the south. There is conflict. The government is still attacking and perpetrating crimes in Darfur. And although there's peace in the south, the Nuba, a lot of the Nuba people feel that they might not be able to go home because the government still controls their territory. And this is the same government that attacked them and that decimated their villages and killed their families. And they've been living in refugee camps for some of them 15 years. And although some Sudanese are starting to return to the south where there's peace, a lot of the Nuba feel that they're not going to be able to go home. And so this is another population that no one's really aware of. And these are the types of groups of people that we're looking to raise attention to. Now, that was a digression. I don't even remember where we were. You want to raise attention, but you also want them to be evacuated. Yeah. Well, so what, what we'd like to do is find some kind of durable solution and lasting solution for these groups of people. So the, the solutions that the U.N. looks at is, one, repatriation. Can people go home? And if they can, wonderful. Every single refugee in the entire world would love to go home. They'd like nothing more than to go home. But if that's not available, well, can they integrate locally in the country in which they found asylum? And often that's not possible. In Kenya, there's a refugee encampment policy where refugees, the government wants refugees to stay in refugee camps. And other countries have similar encampment policies. But a refugee camp is supposed to be temporary. It's not supposed to be for 10, 20, or 30 years, and yet that often happens. So if you can't go home and you can't integrate locally, what are your options? Well, often resettlement is when all other options fail, that's the only option. So we're trying to identify groups of people that might need resettlement as a durable solution, and then we go to the U.N., 
uh, and governments and say, look, here's a group of people, and here are the reasons why they can't go home, here are the reasons why they can't integrate locally, and there's no durable solution, and so let's think about resettlement. So Mapendo does not just go to the U.S. and ask for this. You're, you're going to other countries as well asking for asylum. Well, we collaborate, first of all, with the, with the U.N. to do this, because the, and the U.N. works very closely with lots and lots of governments. And, yeah, we, we are working closely right now with the U.S. government as well. And I'll, I, I worked before. I actually was a consultant with the U.N. before launching Mapendo. And so I was doing these things with the U.N. before. So I work closely with the, Canadians, the Canadian government, Australian government as well. And we will start opening up those channels of communication soon as well. You've been listening to the Clinician's Roundtable on ReachMD XM 233, the channel for today's medical professional. I'd like to thank my guest, Sasha Chanoff, co-founder and executive director of the U.S.-based NGO organization Mapendo International.